Hey everyone, my name's Michael. And I'm Crystal. And this is Surviving Higher Ed. We're two former higher ed professionals turned expatriates. Surviving Higher Ed is your go-to podcast to discuss surviving within higher education or learning ways to transition out. We want to create a space for you to feel seen and heard and maybe even learn a few things along the way. Now, let's dive in. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. Hey Michael, how's it going? It's going. Thank you everyone for being here today. I have had such a great week. I decided that I wanted to call out the, what will I call it? Um, horrible salaries in higher ed <laughs> and student affairs. And the reason why I decided to do it is because your boy is still nosy and <laughs> he does still lurk on some of the higher ed and student affairs Facebook groups. And sometimes people still post job descriptions. And my favorite is when it's like, come work with me at blah, blah, blah university. It's great. It's fun. You get to work with me. And then I open the job description and it's like a coordinator role with a range of 38 to 41,000 a year. And I'm like, you forgot to mention that part. (laughs) (laughs) So I've had a really great time, honestly, tearing apart some of those job descriptions and chatting with people who feel similarly or even like had a wake up call and like, oh, that's not like normal to be paid that little with a master's degree or even without a master's degree in certain cities throughout the nation, especially in California. Like, gosh, we can go on for days about that. But I've had a good time doing that because- (laughs) That's another, like we said before, like salary is another thing that just doesn't get talked about enough. So I've had a great time doing that and just exposing people to that sad reality of higher ed that doesn't get talked about a lot. But other than that, how's your week been? (laughs) I mean, not as uh, thrilling as calling out and uh, spilling the tea as you you do so often, but um, it's been pretty good. Um, Can't complain. Uh, I got, uh, I think I, what was it? The past weekend, I got I got a new plant. So <gasps> I know. Did we I, name him, her, them yet? Not yet. I'm still feeling their vibe. I'm like okay. I I kind of I purchased a couple vintage planters, and I'm waiting for them to come in. I feel like that'll give me like okay, like an essence of where they're at, and then like, I can name them, and then also where they go. I'm still figuring it out. I feel like I don't. I don't this probably is not you, but I feel like it's me. Whenever I buy a plant, they kind of like, well, A, you're supposed to quarantine your plants beforehand. Oh, in case. Um, definitely don't do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're supposed Oops. to quarantine in case they have any. Now I know. Any, any pests or anything that they have from the nursery so they don't affect your other plant babies. Um, so not only are you supposed to quarantine, but they usually live on like my uh, dining room table for like a good week or so as part as I, while, while I try to, figure their place out I'm PJ always gets annoyed because I say that I know exactly where it's gonna go and then I get it and then I'm like I don't know what I'm gonna and do then we like, move I it like to five times. yeah I have to yeah. rearrange it and then figure yeah. out like what I want and then sometimes where you want it doesn't match its needs for light and water and I mean Literally. not water but uh, just ma- mostly, mostly light and yeah so well, humidity. yeah yeah so, and like it looks good there aesthetically but like realistically yes. Oh God, so many plants look so good in certain areas. That's my common battle. Well, this is everyone's sign to get that plant that they've been contemplating (laughs) if 
they've yes. been wanting a new one. So or you it. know what? Yourself. Own own up if you if it's overwhelming, right? I'm I'm here to validate if it's overwhelming keeping a plant alive. Home yeah. Goods, TJ Maxx, these places have some really good um, fake plants right now. That's great. It sounds like <laughs> we both have had good weeks though in our own <laughs> yeah. respective ways. Love it. Well, I think it's time to dive in to our next story submission. Yes. And we will call the submitter Joe. Okay. And this is Joe's story. Dear Michael and Crystal, Aww. my department lost a bunch of people during COVID, a whole other story which put a lot of pressure on those of us who stayed. I was doing two to three jobs at any given time. I didn't mind this. I loved all the work I was doing, but I wasn't a fan of working 55 to 80 hours a week for $35,000. Oof. Big oof. You might ask, (laughs) but working 55 to 80 hours a week, you had to have made bank in overtime. Well, you'd be wrong. See, at my university, you don't even earn overtime pay, you earn quote unquote comp time. Oh, triggered. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds nice though, right? More vacation time? Wrong. You are limited to not taking personal time during the academic year and can't take them once summer orientation starts. That means you have two weeks in May and two weeks in June as a window to take annual leave. I didn't know they could regulate that, but we can talk about that later. I was going to say that they actually can't. Dang. So this is, uh, this is a big red flag. issue. Yeah. Yep. Finally, I was fed up with this. I went to my director and requested a $5,000 raise and a title position descript- description adjustment. I was rejected. I was told the same thing we always are. Quote, unquote. There's no money for raises and just do what's in your job description. So I called their bluff. This was so hard to do. I loved many of the people I worked with and the students in my office were amazing, but I had to look out for me. Love that. I was consuming nearly double the healthy limit for caffeine. Before we finish the story, quick trigger warning on alcohol consumption. I was consuming nearly double the healthy limit for caffeine. I was down to one meal a day and drinking to make up for it. So I left. And wouldn't you know, they reposted my position two weeks later with the title, position, description, and pay that I wrote. They didn't even adapt it. After giving four years of my life and changing my career trajectory, it was over like that. I still work for the university as a faculty, but have left student affairs. Wow. Wow. So many common (laughs) themes in here. I mean, where do we start? I don't even know. I feel like (laughs) I often when we're recording, I'll have like a little stress ball that I kind of play with to keep my fingers busy while we're we're talking and whatnot. Yeah. And, and I was just squeezing the shit out of this thing. I, you I felt reading. their frustration. <laughs> like, Jeez. oh my God. But it's also not unique. It's right? not. That's the sad like, part. This is the sad <laughs> part. It's something yeah. that like, this is definitely, and, and this is, I think the issue when we talk about like that calling out toxic culture and not to be confused with like, trashing the profession or trashing higher ed it's like the idea of like calling out like some of this shit's toxic and it's important to realize that yeah like all all, all of this i'm like yeah like you know like this idea that um oh my gosh where do we even start like the 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 salary alone is like i think the salary has always been my biggest like point of confusion yeah because we are expected to obtain these advanced degrees and what are we 
given in return. I couldn't tell you any jobs when I was looking outside of grad school that started at 60K that didn't have more than like six to eight years of experience required. Sure. So already that, you know, cancels yeah. you out. Most yeah. of them want you to have like two to three years for an entry level. One of those years being a master's degree, if you have one. So right off the bat, like I always just never knew that the pay that we received, granted the jobs I applied to were not this low, but looking for jobs that were between like 42 and 48 and thinking that that was okay in Southern California. Like that's just something that really just kind of irks me to this day, because I think that just really impacted the things that I was able to do. And granted, like she tried to live bougie on a budget, but (laughs) sometimes it was hard and like, it was stressful. Like working in higher ed after grad school, I couldn't tell you when I wasn't not stressed about money. Like I was yeah. always thinking about it in the back of my head. So I think it's just really unfortunate that there is no really like consistency or even like baseline when it comes to certain roles in higher ed. Like, well, like I think transparency, I yeah. think, right? Like I, I think, can't justify $35,000. No. Well, like, I mean, and not to speak from you know, I, I don't want people to get confused and thinking that we're speaking in a place of privilege because I will, yeah. own, I will own up and I will, and I probably will age myself a little bit. Like when I first yeah. got hired in, in higher ed, my, the salary they offered me, I believe was either 35 or 38. And, yeah. and I was stoked beyond belief. Oh, yeah. Like I was like, this is like legit. And I thought to myself, like, this is what I went to school for like to get a degree so I can make a salary that can help, you Ballin. know, take care of my family. And I yeah. like, I was completely stoked. So I, I, I totally understand the idea of sometimes, especially we're paying where you're at, that this can be a lot of money and, and, yeah, and I, and I totally understand that this is, you know, quote unquote, better than nothing, but I think it's important. And, and anybody who knows me and it, um, I think this is why it's especially a touchy subject I've always want like I've always promoted transparency when it comes to salary because I've seen how many times and like it completely can fuck over people and teams and it's used to exploit labor it's used to create clicks it's used to gatekeep there's so many aspects of like why why keep salary private the only in the only benefit is to any kind of corporation or like in our, in our, when we're talking about this, it's in the institution because then it's able to get more bang for their buck. Right. And okay, sure. That's a very capitalistic mentality, but the idea is that we're dealing with people, people that have families, people that have lives, people that probably have student debt. Like, I think it's, it's super important that this idea of, yeah, just having transparency about the salary. Like, I think I told you, like I applied for a higher ed job yeah. uh, the other day and um, I, I called HR to ask for a range because why, why would I want to waste my time and why would I want to waste the, like theirs, yeah. right? And plus, yeah. the, you know. Also, they, like, why not just make it easy on yourself and put just, the range? Or, thank you. But of course not. No, no, no. That's, no that makes, that makes sense, right? Yeah. So um, they put me on hold for a long time and then they came back and they told me, we have the proposal range and I'm like, okay. And they're like, but we recommend you contact the, the recruiter, the person hiring. And I'm like, it's okay. I just need the range. 
oh, but we recommend you contact them for a more precise information. I'm like, but you have the range and your HR, isn't that more, isn't how much more precise do you get yeah. when that's your range? And they wouldn't give it to me and they were telling me I had, and so like, for me, like that was right off the bat. I was like, I, the fact that you're kind of withholding this information, mm. come on. Don't understand why. And I think that's what makes me most upset is that I don't, I don't think your degree should determine your worth, but if you're preferring that people come in with that type of knowledge and experience, you need to pay them for it. And yeah. there's no reason why your first mass postmaster's job shouldn't pay enough to help you out with your student debt yeah. and live your life. Yeah. So I, I do recognize that yes, in certain areas and to certain people, this is great, more money than they've ever made in their entire life. Yep. Um, so I do want to point out that this individual does have a master's degree and I just cannot fathom justifying that amount for that type of degree on their yeah. belt. And yeah. it's sad. And it's sad. And what's even more sad is that there are these expectations put on to higher ed professionals to go above and beyond. And it was funny because I just read a job description that was like um, frequent evenings and weekends required. Oh my and gosh. Like, yeah. What type of work-life balance are you promoting? And also like how are you compensating them for that? Because no mention in the job description, like there's no mention throughout the job description that says like how that balance will take place. Like, and I, I think, don't know exactly how that would be communicated from an HR standpoint, but like that's where you can start being transparent and like maybe even make a note that's like, you know, supervisor will coordinate, you know, adjusting your schedule or whatever, like put yeah. that in the job description. Because if you read that, like, sure you know what to expect but this those types of situations turn into what this person is talking to us about well, yeah worked underpaid and they're given comp time which is a whole other bullshit subject because oh gosh i know we haven't even touched on because they don't even want to they don't want to pay you for the extra work you're doing but then no. they're resistant to letting you take the time off and like you know, not doing it during peak periods or whatever. Like I, I know you remember peak periods from being an advisor. <laughs> like, okay. That's why I was like, oh, I was squeezing the stress ball really tight. I was like, oh yeah, like that idea That's... that I, and, and I, and I understand, I understand the needs of students and timeline. Yeah, sure, totally. I get that. But I also know that I think I'm, I'm also all about working smarter, not harder. And if, if, if there's ways yes. where I, I mean, I remember those times where my colleagues and I, it was like without, without our director and less like members of the team than normal, we probably were the most productive and the most efficient. And that was because we operated without hindrance from the way that things are supposed to be done. Yeah. And we also like were able to, we knew you act as adults and you're able to take on work and kind of get things done. Yeah. in a way that doesn't necessarily feel like with these peak times, a lot of it is kind of, and I, this is my mental health standpoint, right? The, it's like the use of like kind of guilt and in that sense, right? Like I, how many times, and I'm sure you remember this, how many times is the idea of like, oh, you're putting this on your coworkers and like, imagine like what your coworkers are have to do when you're out. Like this yeah. idea of like, yeah. oh, like I have to feel <laughs> like, what is that messaging sending if I have to feel guilty about, taking time for myself taking like, time for me that's toxic it is and it's like a, it's kind of like manipulation honestly oh my gosh yes like it is it's manipulation at their benefit right I think yeah I always tell my clients right that 
like boundaries are in place to protect us, right? There's, you know, we want to have intentional boundaries and anybody that is upset by your boundary is typically though, are typically individuals that benefited from your lack of boundaries. And so, and that goes for, you know, your institution and your supervisor, right? If you're trying to, a boundary is like, I'm going to be, which I know you, you have, you came up against uh, before was like, if I'm going to be on vacation or take time off, I'm setting up a boundary of that's my time. Yeah. But how many times have we've had people reach out to us on breaks or tell oh us that we can't gosh. or all these different things, right? Raise your hand or <laughs> blink twice if <laughs> your supervisor emailed you over a holiday break and expected you to reply. Yeah. I'm blinking a lot. I'm blinking. Yeah, we're blinking. <laughs> Can the but microphone pick up or blinking? <laughs> I wish. I think that's something though, like that people that are just now entering the field or in their job search process can use as a learning experience though, because yes. you can ask those questions of, okay, well, I see that it's a exempt or non-exempt position. If it's an exempt position, you know, you want to ask what does, you know, comp time look like if you have to work after hours or what, you know, um, periods occur during the academic year where, you know, it's all hands on deck if you feel comfortable, you know, saying that, or if it's a non-exempt position, what is the overtime um, rate or how often do staff work overtime or are they expected to work overtime during a certain period like yeah those like are ways that. yeah, what, yeah. Are these, what are these windows how how does um make like questions that are are pointed like what is the work-life balance at this institution yeah. or this department yeah. what does taking time off look like for this are there any restrictions or regulations yep. about that like you're saying I think yeah it's important to learn how to ask these and kind of like right like okay don't walk away from this being like oh my gosh like screw completely like screw this like I don't want to be involved in this like there's ways that you can and so there's some supervisors that I imagine are supportive um but it's also learning how to advocate for yourself and knowing how to recognize and avoid working for departments or individuals that are going to promote this toxic culture and manipulation um you know and and taking advantage of you and you know what if you're in a higher ed student affairs job right now normalize taking mental health days i never took a mental health day in my entire career (laughs) i was always too scared like believe it or not like i was like oh like that's not a valid excuse but the reason why i thought that is just because i never really saw anybody else do it and i really didn't feel like i had justification quote unquote even though you don't need justification but like if you're if you're in your job right now and you're you know putting in the work like this person was in their previous role take some time for yourself. If you have that vacation time that is accumulating, take it. If you have that sick time that is in abundance, take it. Not all all, um, people tend to take advantage of, in my opinion. I definitely know people who take a lot, who do take mental health days because it's important for them. But if you're a newer professional even, or, you know, if you're a mid-level or, you know, been in the field for three to five years, do it. Because as you continue working in this field, situations like this, are only going to get more and more prevalent in my opinion. Um, I think the higher you go, the more work you're required, you're required and expected to put in. So start building those habits now because sometimes you let it slip away from you and then you just never, you never do it because you never made it a part of your Well, sometimes it's important. It's sometimes it's important to be the model too. Oh, I feel like a lot, right. We, 
because one of the good things, one of the not toxic thing, I mean, it can be, but depending upon it about, you know, yeah. working in higher ed is a lot of the times, you know, your team and the people you work with, you can really make some really great, you know, friendships and whatnot and be very supportive and have these, a feeling of community. Yep. But like, if we're all kind of, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and, yep. um, you know, buying into this toxic culture, it can be very difficult to kind of, like you were saying, Michael, nobody, nobody around me is doing this. So yeah. how am I going to be the oddball? And I think sometimes it's important to be that model and be like, no, you know what? I don't, I need to take this time. And yeah. so I'm going to, and, yeah. and that yeah. might be able to then start to kind of other people healthy see habits. Like, okay. Yes. It's, I want you to be healthy too. Like, I think yeah. like people listening also counter for yourself, right? Like I was thinking about it as we were giving like ideas for questions for the interview. Cause I, we know I I've been on, um, I was like, I was on your hiring thing. Like I yeah. interviewed you and I was thinking about like back then, if I would have heard somebody ask about that, my instinct would have been like, Oh, this school, they take vacation. We are not about that. Like, yeah, it would almost not- be like, ew. Yeah. And I think, ah. and I, I share that because right. Like I've grown from there and the idea of like, if that is maybe your instinct kind of like reflect on that, like, what is that? What, what have you kind of internalized yeah. and adopted to think about someone taking time from themselves as like a detriment or a, or a personality or characteristic? Yeah. Or like, oh, everybody only takes like one big vacation a year. Like, yeah. And that's it. And you wait right? a whole or, other year. <laughs> or the, or the internalization that I work so hard and I don't vacation that like anybody else that does so is like, clearly not yeah. a hard worker, clearly not as devoted Absolutely. as me. And I think those are some of the things where, you know, I hope that maybe, you know, people listening can kind of think about that and challenge maybe some ways that they have adopted some of these, um, you know, aspects of the culture that yeah. make it a little bit more toxic and harder for people to, to thrive. And even like speaking to the last part of the story where they adopted what I would consider to be unhealthy eating habits and you know, engaging in activities that could negatively impact their physical health. And that's something that sometimes people joke about, like, oh, didn't eat lunch again today, like, or, you know, didn't take a break today or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I think that's Mm -hmm. something too, that also gets internalized and normalized. And so that's a part of the hustler mentality, in my opinion. So again, if you're in a new role or about to step into a new role or been in your role for a while, and this resonates with you about not taking time for yourself, here's your sign to do that because there's no reason why those types of behaviors should be celebrated because that just kind of shows how we don't often put ourselves first and we need to put ourselves first. And that's the only way the work's going to get done in the office and (laughs) mentally and emotionally is when you put yourself first. So I'm glad that this person was vulnerable in mentioning that because I think that's another part of the, the culture that just isn't talked about enough. And when it is talked about, it's in a joking manner sometimes in my opinion. Well, yeah, no, 100%, right? Like how many times, ha- like, I feel like it wasn't until I worked in higher ed that the concept of like happy hour became more prevalent in my life. Yeah. The idea, like not just for social bonding, like I, you know, I'm not going to dismiss it that it has this aspect, but yeah. almost like this idea of like, right? Like, oh, wow, we have to cope with this over drinks. Like, yes. you know, I didn't I think, think about that until you said that. Like yeah. we joke about the work we do, but like, we joke about it over alcohol, like, oh my God, I'm going to drink a whole bottle of wine tonight. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
I mean, like I used to have a coworker that had alcohol like in her dress drawer and yes. like, <laughs> and I think like the idea like was like, oh, that's so fun. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, why do we have that's, to have yeah, like, yeah, like I, I definitely remember people in grad school bringing that same scenario up about like one of their supervisors and like looking back, definitely laughed about it. But now I'm like, dang, like, yeah, it's a you're way- being worked so hard that you feel like you have to drink to compensate. Yeah. Like what are, really- what are, if we have to cope with our, our jobs, our roles in yeah. a way that could be unhealthy, then what does that say about what, like, you know, the environment, like what we're doing? Yeah. So I think exactly. it's important to kind of reflect on that. And then I think, and then additionally, because there's so many points in this, it's such a great story. Thank you, Joe, for, for writing and, and yeah. submitting this to us. The other aspect, which I feel I've heard time and time again, is that people just hold on and want so bad to stay in their jobs and just get paid what they're worth or get the title that they deserve. And then ultimately get to this breaking point where it's like, uh, F it, I need to leave. Yeah. And then literally everything they wanted is like created for this, for the new posting, for the new. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that happens. Like my, I remember like that happened when I was even an admin. I was supporting like, what like I think like four departments wow and plus I had another uh, plus it's funny to think back what I used to do plus I used to do the scheduling for the college so oh, it was classes? like yeah yeah so I'd have to get I'd have to coordinate with every department in the college Jeez. to get their classes and then I have to input them in the system like get their tech like oh it was a whole thing like I I'm like what I used to do that um and I remember it was like right ultimately I think as I shared in the very first episode I left because they wouldn't allow me to go to graduate school um that that one hour a week <laughs> was not even though I, I offered yeah. my time how much are they really losing right um and I had people yeah. and the departments that I supported were okay with it but still that supervisor did not was not okay with it so um I left but Yikes. once I left they split my position into I believe like two I think it was two two admins and then they moved the ta- the other task to another one so wow. I think for me, and then I realized like, wow, if I never let, like, I was just going to keep doing the work of like two and a half people. Two people. That's a lot of jobs in higher ed, honestly. <laughs> like, like that's, that's bonkers. And, um, right. And I thought that was just kind of a fluke. And it wasn't until I realized like, ah, okay. They, that's what they do. And I saw it to a lot of my colleagues that I work with, like people that wanted with their whole beans for, you know, raises or promotions or something within that title yeah. not getting it yeah. and then once they left oh suddenly it's marketed as this brand new thing that they always wanted and yep. just how disheartening that is I think I can speak to the flip side of that where you do ask for a little more and it's given to you but it's also like ah, held yeah. above held above your head for the oh, rest yeah. of your time there and I'm grateful I guess that I was able to get a slight increase even though I would argue that the $3,000 increase that I got really was nothing after everything was said and done personally. That's just my take. But I think the flip side is that sometimes you do get those things granted, but you have to be careful about how you tread because they will use that against you in some cases. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. As as soon as I I was like, as soon as I, you know, encountered a situation that was rooted in equity and that was rooted in inequity, that's when they started saying, well, we've already done this, this, and this for you. So like, why are you asking? Why are you oh yeah, asking of for course. More? But I felt yeah. like any, any positive thing that I got, it's kind of like this little, it, 
it served to kind of keep me on the hook, right? Oh, mm-hmm. I have to show how grateful I am for this. I'm working that much harder, right? Like, so they didn't even, they didn't even need to hold it over me after a while. Yeah. I just internalized that kind of guilt for, yeah. you know, like even at like asking for stuff after a while I don't ask and I just kind of am grateful whatever's tossed my way and yep and it wasn't until like leaving that I realized just wow like that right like that was very unhealthy and how did that impact me for so many years and my self-worth and like you know um and prevent me from really valuing myself enough to kind of not only advocate for myself further but like to to just or to leave or to look for something else like you know, and, and I feel like that was a red flag for me. Like even in my most recent job, like at a nonprofit, they did the same yeah. thing. They were talking about increasing some salaries, but then they, then one of the CFOs and said, well, in doing so we, then it's an agreement that we expect more from you. And I was like, no, I, that's not really how it works. Like, are you rewriting job description then? Or Yeah. Like, are you, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to be paying us what we're worth. Cause you acknowledge that we can all use that bump, but you're going to be expecting more like uh, sounds like higher ed too, even though it's a nonprofit, which world. is, which is why I split because which, I was like, and I hear the there's flag. a lot of parallels. Yeah. And I hear there's a lot of parallels between yeah. the two. The moral of the story with this is that you are replaceable and yes. they will, and most likely will not hesitate to fill that position. So if you're stressing about if this job is right for you or if you're not feeling fulfilled, yeah, baby, this is your sign that at the end of the day, things will continue. And sometimes, yes. sometimes you will end up in a better situation at the same university. And sometimes you'll end up in a better situation elsewhere, whether that's in higher ed or out of higher ed. And I think for me, at the end of the day, after I left my previous job, I was like, I don't want to switch schools again just to get a little more change. Oh, Yeah. And just to feel a little more challenged. And I think that's definitely a common theme, oh, too, yeah. which we've that's talked about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You have to, like, uh, that was told to me. I remember, like, you know, when I was an admin, I met somebody who had a, was working in student affairs, and they mentioned the same thing Yeah, about, oh, I have to, yeah, like, I want, I want more, so I'm going to this another role. And I'm like, isn't that the same role, just in a different department? And I'm like, yeah, but it pays more. Yep. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then sure enough, I, I learned, right? Like as you did too. Oh, that's the thing to do. You apply for either the same job in a different department or ha- go to another school. Like you have to keep, you rarely did I see a lot of people get promoted or get raises or things within the position that they were in. Not saying oh, that, yeah. but very rare. Well, it's also like sometimes they have these outrageous ranges. Like the last job I worked in, my classification was like, 4,400 to like 9,000 a month. You're oh never yeah. Gonna get, you're never going to get to $9,000. Oh no, no. Yeah. It was like, that was, I remember I, I have tried to apply when I first entered higher ed as the admin, I tried to apply a corporate mindset because they yeah. had me down as like admin two or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Well trying to understand structure. Right. Cause I'm like, that's how it was when I, in my other positions or like, uh-huh. what's the, I want to know what's the next step. So as I'm in this job, I can meet the marks to kind of get promoted. And so I was like, naturally, I'm like, what's admin three, or is there a title above like an administrative assistant or something? Yep. Oh no. And I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's the range? Oh. And it, I think it was something like, I don't know. I felt like it was like 30 to like, 
I think it probably was like 52. And I was like, whoa, how do I get to like 52? And they're like, exactly. Oh, that's just like, we just, nobody gets to that. It's just like the possibility. And I'm like, well, what, what's the possibility? How, like, yeah, you, you can crunch some numbers for me and do yeah, some math. Yeah. I think that's something that people need to ask too. If you see a salary range, but it says we plan to not exceed blah, blah, blah. And if that number is on the lower end or literally the lowest, yeah. ask that question of, hey, this is my desired salary. Assuming that when you negotiate, you ask for your desired salary and you get shut down. In the event that you get shut down, ask them, hey, how long is it going to take for me to get to if mm-hmm. you were offered 46 and you wanted 5200 a month? Ask them, hey, how long is it going to take for me to get to 5200 Yeah. And I think that's a good opportunity for you to really like measure and put a um, like a time uh, constraint on like how long that's going to take for you to get there. And if, and if that's even something that you're interested in, if it's going to take you like six years, do you want to stay in that role for six years? And I think that's something that we don't talk about enough too, is nobody tells us what it's going to take to get to the number that we ultimately want. I know for me, I don't think if I stayed in the role I'm in now, I would have touched like 62, 65, which I think is fairly comfortable for California Yeah, for another like four years. <laughs> and so like, yeah. that's just something to think about. And also like ask what opportunities there are like for growth. Like where do people go after this role? But like, what have they, what have people gone on to do after this role? If they know, like, and if they don't yeah. know, they should be asking those questions or they should be yeah. tracking that data yeah. because it can give a really good, it could paint a really good picture for what growth can look like in that role. Oh, 100%. So if you're a hiring manager listening, please start asking your candidates when they leave, if they feel comfortable saying what role they're moving on to track that data, because you can use that to your advantage to retain people. Yes. Cause that's the theme right now. <laughs> and Attention. so use that, use that as a way to show people what growth can look like, you know, <laughs> I know we focus so much in higher education about like the retention of students yeah, and we, not the staff. we we don't really, we kind of don't bat an eye at the retention of staff. And, For real. Um, and I think that has so many implications to it. I, I remember in so many ways kind of being like not taken seriously when I would bring up retention issues of our team and the oh. impact that it has and the energy. I, I'm sure people listening, like how many times have you had to train people you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, how many new people have you had to train? Because especially right now during COVID, because yeah. so many people leave and we tend to put, we tend to yeah. put the blame. Or how on many, the people how leaving. many applicants are you getting? Yeah. Well, yeah. We tend to put the blame on people leaving and instead like, well, what are we doing to actually retain staff mm-hmm. and talent? Like, what are we doing to actually keep people here? So the rest of the team doesn't have to keep adjusting to a new person, training, doing this whole thing. Right. Yeah. And I think when I got when I got to the school that we worked out together, I think y'all had just lost in the span of maybe what five years, like three advisors. Yeah. And then like right in like what back to back almost. Including you, I feel like we lost like another like what, like three or four again. Like yeah, we, we continuously kept losing people. Yeah. And, and I don't even like, oh my gosh, like this is all other can of worms. Like, do people in HR roles or supervisors who are supervising the, like, let's just say the director of that program and department we worked under, like, are they even looking at that and like questioning why you aren't retaining people? 
Oh no, I brought it up so many times. I think that was one of my biggest pet peeves there was like, why, why is there, who's reviewing them in regards to their leadership? Yeah. Right. Because Because if if that's happening, they need to go. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's like, I feel like that's a huge aspect. If if people disagree, maybe they could like write in, like, I feel like submit a story or, or validate why that that shouldn't matter. Cause there's no reason why that should not be considered. I feel like that's the thing when I consider like, as uh, you know, when I'm in a leadership role, I feel like the idea of, okay, my, like my staff, if my staff, if I'm retaining my, like my talent and not only do they, are they building, I benefit from it. Right. And that makes me feel like, okay, they're being supported. Right. The longer they stay, that means that, you know, this is something that they want. So like, I, I don't know, I guess it's like, I'm trying to understand from a leadership standpoint, if you are consistently losing employees at a route, like not just like, not during COVID, like we're talking about like when Michael and I work together. Tell him. Tell this, him. <laughs> this was before, way before COVID. So we, we can't be blaming no coronavirus on the, this retention issue. People were dropping like flies. And, they were. And, and it in was, our department for, specifically. Mm-hmm. And it was for similar reasons. And not once did anybody ask about like, well, why are they leaving? It was seen as more of like this individual issue as opposed to, well, yeah. no, like, the, let's look at the issues. Let's look at. Who do you have on the hiring committee? Who's doing the hiring? What are you looking for? That is that in line with what our work act, our role actually does? What what are your leadership skills and and how like let's review them as a team. Let's have an honest anonymous review of you as a leader. Like yep. all these different things to kind of really question. Like okay, if this one department in particular continues to lose people. Maybe we should look at the leadership, but uh, yeah, maybe we should. Uh, I'm assess sorry, pardon me maybe, for making sense. <laughs> yeah, and maybe interview the staff um, that probably feel like that person needs to go to. Yeah, and maybe you should actually take them seriously, especially because they are the ones who are, like you said before, like they're the ones who are having to readjust. And yeah. at the end of the day, it hits them the hardest because the extra work usually doesn't fall on. The director or leader in that specific department usually falls on the lower level staff or you know your peers your colleagues it's, who are w- working yeah so i mean i so yeah i think obviously joe's story touched on a lot of points i think i i feel like i've personally experienced each one of these issues we've all of, had right? i think we've like, all had a joe moment at some yeah point. like or, or we're, we're going through it right now oh seriously yeah like i i it's I think those are the things where it's, I think those are the important times, I think, I, I guess, to really, in, in summary, like, reflect, yeah. reflect on, like, more of the culture and the issue at hand and, and try to externalize it from yourself. And because yeah. it's really easy after a while to really feel like you're not worth that raise or you're not, your work isn't enough, um, right? When in actuality, it's, I mean, sometimes it can be. I mean, we've all been in those personal situations, like, right. But like a lot of the times it's, it, they're looking out for their bottom dollar and themselves. And I think sometimes it's important for us to look out for ourselves and our mental yeah, health and our well being and, and what we too. need. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Oh God. Each, if we could like, if we could all just be kind to each other and support each other and, and advocating and be honest and be honest and transparent about these things, I feel like, yep. you know, it's, it's strength in numbers. If you are, finding yourself saying wow this sounds a lot like me take what we said and think about think about like 
how you can advocate for yourself and advocacy looks different. It might not look like what Joe did and speaking up. It might look like talking to your colleagues first about how to navigate the landscape or that type of conversation, or even like finding a way out because there's not a right way to advocate for yourself. It doesn't always look like a salary increase or negotiation. It doesn't always look like confiding in others. It can also look like, you know, leaving, which is fine. So if any of you guys have had experience with some of the stuff that Joe mentioned and have maybe alternative ways to cope with it, then Michael and I listed or have other experiences similar that you want to share, please like, let us know. Cause I think that's, that's kind of comes back down to what we're trying to do here. Right. Is kind of bring light to these issues and, and call them out and then learn from them. Right. You know, Michael's a little bit more on the end, like all like, Fuck them. And then we, we try to meet in the middle about like, okay, how can we work with it if you need yeah, to? How can you, you kind of look out for yourself and really yeah. process this? Yeah. And if you have a story you want to share that's not even remotely close to this, you can always visit our Instagram at Surviving Higher Ed and click the link in our bio yes, and please. use the form to submit your own story. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And you can stay connected with us on Instagram by following at Surviving Higher Ed. Bye. Bye.